I've truly been blessed. Praise God. And he has been way more faithful to me than I have to him. But I'm thankful that God sees the good things, the positive things, forgives us for the negatives in our life if we ask him to. But um, I'm thankful that in those areas where we're obedient, that God, God blesses and takes care of us and watches over us. Amen. He is true to his word. If you be obedient to his word and learn how to submit yourself to the word of God, you're just going to be blessed. That's all there is to it. And God is so good and faithful to do that. If you have your Bibles tonight, I invite your attention to 2 Chronicles, chapter number 13. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 13. As we go into the good word of the Lord, I encourage you again, if you've not already started, good time, it's not too late, to make the practice of going through the Bible and reading it in the year, and we have charts that are available for you to mark your progress for that. We call it the bread program, Bible reading enriches any day, I believe is, is why it's called the bread program, but how many knows that reading the Word of God and making a habit of it is a blessing to anybody's life? And so uh, get involved in that. Also make it a habit of bringing your Bible to the house of God. You know, I know churches that are not even truth-preaching churches, large congregations that um, really accentuate the need of bringing the Word of God to church. One renowned um, uh, preacher, I guess that's what you'd call him, um, Every service, every Sunday, has the congregation lift their Bibles up and quote a little uh, thing. And um, other words, accentuating the fact that the Bible is important. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of things that are trying to denigrate the Word of God. But I, I, I just want to stand and make myself clear that the Word of God is still effective and it's still a manual for life in this hour and it hasn't gone out of date. Praise God, it's still relevant and I appreciate the word of the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter number 13 and verse 13. I'm jumping in the midst of a Bible story here but uh, maybe we can help you understand it more clearly as time goes on. But Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them so that they were before Judah and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. In other words, they were surrounded. And they cried unto the Lord and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah 
and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter, so there fell down slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied. Everybody say relied. Relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued after Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with the towns thereof, Jeshanan with the towns thereof, and Ephraim with the towns thereof. And neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. But Abijah waxed mighty and married fourteen wives and begat twenty and two sons and sixteen daughters. And the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways and his sayings are written in the story of the prophet I do. I want to preach what I, or teach rather, tonight, something that I feel that the Lord has dropped into my heart for this evening's service. I've always tried to be sensitive to where we're at and what the Lord would have for us. I don't want to just be preaching uh, just to merely be up here and fill time and take up another service, but I want to have a word from God. And this passage, I, I uh, many years ago preached or taught from this passage of Scripture, and I really feel it resonating with me here this evening as I was preparing and uh, was going to go a different direction. The Lord prompted this uh, to my heart, and so I want to do my very best to convey the will of God here tonight. Would you pray with me that the Lord would have his way in the remainder of this service? Touch us, anoint us, and help us in this house. Jesus, we depend upon your anointing and the touch of your spirit. We know that without it, we are helpless. Everything that we do is in vain without your blessing upon it. I'm praying, God, that you would minister in this place. Let your perfect and sovereign will be done here minister to this congregation tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for it. Amen. Everybody say amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, you may be seated. I want to say this at the outset tonight. I have over the last um, several, I guess it's been a couple of years, maybe longer, on Wednesday nights because of our structure and maybe other classes being out and, and not having everybody in here. Uh, we made our emphasis more on just having a Bible class without an altar invitation at the end of, of the service. And um, I don't know, I've, I begin to evaluate that a little bit, think about it, pray about it. I don't want a church to get used to not coming down to the altar at the conclusion of the Word of God being preached. I think it ought to be a common practice. Somebody might say, well, there's not a lot of sinners. There's not a lot of people that maybe need to pray through. Well, all of us need to pray through. may not get very many amens, but that's the truth. All of us need to pray through, not just on Sundays, but probably Wednesday too. But, uh, you know, schools, they do fire drills when there's no fire. And... Uh, they go through certain things because they don't want you to forget. And so 
I'm going to preach shorter so you can respond at the end. Is that all right? You, I'm going to make that deal with you folks. And if I preach long, then, then you don't have to respond to the altar service. But let me determine what long is. Praise God. No, I'm going to try to preach a lot shorter so you can respond as long as needed at the end of the service. But I want to I teach to you tonight the battle that comes after the victory. The battle that comes after the victory. I realize in reading this particular passage of Scripture that we've broken into a narrative. And uh, it's a narration of events that has happened between two kings because the Bible says that there was a war between Abijah, the king of Judah, and Jeroboam, the king of Israel. And as we read about the outcome of this battle, we find that uh, Abijah was directed of the Lord. His reliance was upon God. He was anointed of the Lord. And as a result, he was victorious against Israel and Jeroboam. And it's not really my desire tonight to teach about the strategies that were used. As it is mentioned here, uh, they came from behind and ambushed them when they had their attention and their focus uh, before them. There was a, uh, a multitude of that army that came around from behind and had them surrounded. But it's not really my desire to preach about the strategy or how that they fought this battle, the battle itself or how this victory was won, but uh, it's what happens after the battle that I want to focus on here tonight. It's what happens after this great victory that I want to address. I want to talk about how each of these individuals involved handled their victory or their defeat, whichever the case was. First, let me make it very clear here tonight it's vitally important, I believe, that we learn early on in our walk with God how to overcome defeats, disappointments, uh, times of disillusionment and discouragement in our walk with God. It is very important that we understand from the outset that there are going to be battles. There are going to be confrontations. When you got the Holy Ghost, when you began to walk with God, you began to live uh, this Christian life, you became enemy number one to the devil. You have an adversary, Paul said, that goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And uh, I, I just want to say that I've heard a lot of folks say, well, he's a devil that doesn't have any teeth or doesn't have any claws because uh, he, was, he was defanged at Calvary. He doesn't, I'm going to tell you the devil that's been chewing on me has got teeth. And the one that's been pawing on me has got, 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 got his claws. He hasn't been, he hasn't been declawed. Amen. He's a real devil, and he, and he does have power. The Bible does say that he is the prince and the power of the air. He does have some measure of dominion in this earth. Uh, we know that he has control in, in some circles and some areas. But we do know that there is a supreme power that is above him. There's an authority that he has to submit to. 
When you live for God, when you have the Holy Ghost, the Bible says greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. So if I have the Holy Ghost, I don't have to succumb to sin. I don't have to succumb to the wiles of the devil. I don't have to succumb to the spiritual attack of the enemy. But I can have authority over it. I can overcome it. I can be victorious. And it is the will of God when when confrontation comes, as we know it will, that we be victorious and that we overcome. And if there is setbacks, because we are flesh and we're prone to failures and we have inconsistencies within our flesh and and uh, some sometimes we we are weakened and and uh, we fall prey to to the attack of the enemy but it never should be permanent it always should be temporary any setback that you experience in your walk with God should never be permanent it should always be temporary it's it's, it's the mission of the devil to impede your progress and to keep you from, from going where you need to go and your purpose and, and, and what God has called you to do. But it is ultimately the will of God that you overcome whatever stumbling block that Satan may put before you and that you be victorious. So it's vitally important that if you get knocked down, you learn how to get back up. Praise the Lord. Again, greater is he that is within me. It's what's on the inside of me that gives me the ability to bounce back. You take a basketball and uh, you you cast it down on the ground. It's the air that is on the inside of it that gives it the bounce back, that causes it to, to, to respond the way it does. If it's inflated, to the degree that it's supposed to, then it's supposed to bounce back with the same reaction that it's cast down. I'm going to tell you, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, you should be able to bounce back from whatever the devil tries to do in your life. When he tries to cast you down, he should look around and notice that you're right back up again. We should do just like the prophet said, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. I'm going to get back up. I am going to recover. I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to wallow in defeat. I'm not going to live in the mully grubs. Praise the Lord. Now, and I want to just stop and say this. I think there's some people that kind of enjoy the mully grubs. They enjoy the attention they get in the mully grubs. Just like some people... Uh, feign sickness all the time because they like the attention of being doctored and and uh, pampered and you know uh, the cold rag on their forehead and the and the and the medicine and all the 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 kosher foods that can be given to. Them. I don't guess kosher's uh, a good word. Uh, kosher foods has never been real tasty to me, but but uh, comfort foods would probably be a better word. More palatable to them and, and makes them feel better. And so uh, they enjoy that kind of, that kind of comfort and, and the attention that they get. Sometimes that plays over into the spiritual. A lot of things that happen in the physical, you know, is also reflected in the spirit because the Bible did say, did not nature itself teach you? So what you learn in the natural and what you understand in the natural can also sometimes be applicable in the spiritual. 
And, and so, so when, when people have a certain reaction to certain things physically, a lot of times that's what's going on with them internally or, or spiritually. And there's a lot of people that like to be doctored alone. I mean, they like to be the one that gets the attention on Sunday night that the church is gathered around and always praying back through to the Holy Ghost. My question is, when are you going to get enough Holy Ghost to make it at least seven days? Praise the Lord. You know what? That, that, that stifles the, the growth and the, and the progress of the church when we're always having to recircle around and get the strays. And we can't ever, we can't ever make it to our destination spiritually. We can never arrive at, at the promise that God has for us as long as we're having to re, recircle around and go back and round up strays all the time and keep everybody else Amen. Making sure that they're able to make it another week. Uh, come on, I, I'm believing God has victory that is great enough for us uh, that can propel us where we need to get and where we need to go. And we're not always we're not always stumbling over the same things. We're not always succumbing to the same sins. We're not always uh, giving in to the same weaknesses. Now, I know you can't get inoculated from your flesh. Like you can go down and get a vaccination for smallpox. You can't do that when it comes to your flesh. You can't get inoculated from, from the flesh, per se, and dealing with this flesh and, and the physical carnal side of all of us. But I do believe that the Holy Ghost, if we, if we maintain it with a prayer life, you know, a lot of people's problem is the reason why they can't sustain victory is because they never back it up with the disciplined lifestyle that is required to stay delivered. Come on now. If you're always, if you're always just coming to church to get everything that you need spiritually and this is the only time that you ever find yourself in the presence of God, the only time you ever find yourself talking to the Lord, the only time you worship, the only time you talk to Him, the only time you pray, the only time you ever crack that black book is when you're in this house. That's not a relationship. Come on now. I said that's not a relationship. Relationship requires something that is daily and often. Come on now. I'm telling you, when you was dating your wife or husband, whichever the case may be, we couldn't keep you off the phone. We couldn't. There wasn't a day. If a day went by when you was unable to speak to them or at least have a little, a little talk with them, then, uh, oh, man, it was something. It was twice as long the next day. Because why? You were in love. You, you had a relationship. Uh, and pray to God that you still do. You wouldn't have much of a marriage if you, you didn't speak but twice a week. You didn't have any face time but just maybe once a week. I like to say that most of us have at least three times a week that we come, but not everybody has that. Praise the Lord. 
So it's very important that I have a relationship with God that is daily, that I'm talking to the Lord. I'm spending time in his presence. Uh, The only way that I can know him is to spend time with him. The only way I can cultivate a relationship with him is to spend time with him. And sometimes you have to do that against the will of your flesh, against the desires even that are raging on the inside of you and your flesh that says, I got to do this. I got to do that. I don't have time. I, I can't. I can't spend this valuable time that I have uh, to, to to spend an hour talking to God. I'm going to tell you, there is no greater time spent than the time you spend in prayer because it'll affect you in many ways. It'll give you wisdom to make better choices through your day, better decisions. God will bless you. He'll order your steps. He'll help you and give you the knowledge that is needed to do a better job at your occupation. Come on, I still believe we trust God for everything. We don't just trust Him for some things. That's why we get in so many problems is we got all of this column over here that's mine and then we got a few things that's in God's column. What you need to do is move everything underneath the heading of God and say, God, you're God of everything. You're king over all. I'm not just relegating some things to you. But God, I need you to help me on the job. I need you to help me with my family. I need you to help me in my marriage. I, I need you to help me in my relationships. I, I don't just need, I don't just have a church column and then a, and then a life column. I, God, you're God over everything. You're king over all. victory and sustain that victory. That's lesson number one. I I don't want to be a Jeroboam that never, and as you read the story of his life and even here in our text, it said he never regained his strength. He never overcame this defeat. It was something that he, once he succumbed to it, It characterized the rest of his life. I've seen people like that. One particular trial defines the rest of their life. One particular hurt defines the rest of their life. One particular situation is allowed to govern the rest of their life. So I don't want to be one that cannot overcome my defeats. I want to fully recover. But the Bible talks about this man by the name of Abijah. And we find him after the battle. He waxed mighty. He married 14 wives. He had 22 sons and 16 daughters. But there's something that I seem to notice here about Abijah as we examine this portion of the chapter We see early on he had a tremendous trust in God and I had you repeat it and I've also stated it here tonight that he relied upon the Lord and God gave him this great victory. He was strong in faith and trust in God and commitment to God at the particular point when he engaged in this battle. But I note in the aftermath of this victory 
it seems that Abijah doesn't continue in this same vein of commitment and consecration. It rather appears that he went from this great victory into a life of self-indulgence. Rather than returning to his former attitude and spirit of humility, Humility is something that is becoming more and more in our world today. Not only hard to find, but almost in our society looked down upon. I'm not against self-help material and books and whatever, but I am amazed when I go to the store and I find lines upon lines of books Self-help, self-improvement, how to become a better you. And it seems like the focus nowadays is for folks to become more uh, confident in themselves and more humanistic in their approach to life, more self-reliant. And I understand a measure of that. I don't believe that God can work with someone that is unwilling to improve themselves and unwilling to educate themselves and unwilling to try to to do the very best and pursue excellence. I, I understand that part of the equation. But we've got to be careful that there still remains a reliance upon God. And that every good gift comes from above, as the Bible says. That outside of Him, I'm not able, but with Him, I can do all things. Amen. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Those Revelation saints, the Bible says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. So we understand that our help comes from the Lord. And uh, we're admonished to trust in Him. And uh, we know that the Scripture over and over again talks about the subject of humility. It tells us the three major hindrances to, to our soul in the end time is going to be the pride of life, the lust of the eye, and the lust of the flesh. But the pride of life, you think about it, how many things fit beneath that? How many things flow from just that one area? Uh, pride. Pride is a very difficult thing for us to admit sometimes. It's very challenging us for us to, to be willing to, to admit or to give admission to the fact that we struggle in areas of pride. But I promise you, everybody in this room has struggled at one point or another, most of us more than just occasionally, with this very subject, and that's pride. Now, pride is, is, is an irony with pride, and that is that people can think they're so smart that they become foolish, the Scripture says. Said professing themselves to be wise. Over there, I think, in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Thinking they're so smart that they become foolish. I've seen that happen. God help me. You know, the worst thing that can ever happen to any one of us 
is for us to think we're right and be so confident that we're right when we're actually wrong. And to be so hard-headed and stiff-necked that we won't change our mind and we won't allow anybody to talk to us and won't allow a man of God to speak into our lives. But we already know everything. Spiritual pride is the worst pride that you can possibly have. That's right. I said spiritual pride is the worst kind of pride, and it's the most damaging pride that there is. You know, it's real tricky, and I've talked about this before. It's real tricky, uh, this old flesh, because if the devil can't get you to do certain things in the flesh as far as sin, then he'll try to get you to thinking you're pretty spiritual which was equally damaging to your soul because there's not one of us in this place that does not need to get our old flesh down to an altar and pray through and be renewed often in the Holy Ghost. There's not one of us that don't need a good church service like tonight and a Bible study like tonight and the Word of God to speak to us and a man of God to preach to us. Come on, there's not one of us in this place that has already arrived. I, I don't think there's anybody here that, that have already got you got your mansion already secured in heaven. You, you've already, you already know, no, no, I don't believe in eternal security. I believe I was saved, I am saved, and I will be saved if I keep on walking with God. So I got to keep on walking with him. Amen. And I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know one thing, that God is not going to allow me to walk into anything in my tomorrow that, that he doesn't know about, and he's not willing to help me through if I'll stay trusting in him. He said he had never put on any, anything upon me that I could not bear. Praise the Lord. He's going to give me grace. He told Paul, I give you grace. You don't know how you're going to deal with this thorn, but my grace is sufficient. When you've reached the limits of what you can do, that's when I'm going to get the glory. Praise the Lord. But, but pride, pride is something that all of us, if we really are, are, are going to get honest, we're going to have to admit we struggle with this thing called pride. And it can happen in, in various ways. We, we, this, struggle, this struggle can happen when, when, when we're confronted by God or the Scripture or the man of God and through the preaching of the Word of the Lord. You know, sometimes we think, well, that preacher, he must know everything about me or, you know, the pastor's tipped off the evangelist. I know he had to be talking to him. I kind of like uh, uh, Brother Mullings, Brother Ronnie Mullings. I used to preach for him when I was just a young evangelist. He's the uh, district superintendent of California. And uh, he said, you know, Jason, he said, uh, I don't have the privilege of you evangelist. He said, you can walk in here, preach whatever. He said, these, these folks, they've got to realize that it's God talking to them because you don't know them. He said, I don't have that privilege. He said, I know these folks. So when I get and preach, he said, I just got to preach what the Lord lays on my heart. And he said, I do know of situations, but that cannot keep me from preaching about those situations. I refuse to get up here and try to preach and act like I'm in a minefield dodging everybody. The Word of God is what's got to touch our hearts. The Word of God is what's got to speak to us and deal with us and help us. Hallelujah. 
Oh, it's so important for us to realize that if we're going to be saved, we're going to need a steady diet uh, of, of good anointed preaching and teaching into our lives. Can you say amen? I need it. I need it. I need it. So I know if I need it, you need it too. Praise God. So we we got to watch this this thing. We we think, well, you know, uh, he knows. That's why he's preaching on that, or or they know, and that's why they're preaching on that, or or you know, uh, somebody must tip them off. No, have you ever heard of anything called the Holy Ghost? Holy Ghost can read your mail. I still believe that God places it in a man's heart because God loves us. That's what you got to understand is God loves me. And that's why he causes the preacher to preach where I'm living. And that's why you need preaching. You don't need preaching that is evasive. You don't need preaching that is off the target. You don't need preaching and teaching that is something, uh, come on, out there in the far beyond somewhere that cannot be understood or grasped or, or that does not affect you or challenge you or even convict you. But I need preaching to shake me up every once in a while. Amen. I don't go to the doctor because it feels good. I go to the doctor because I won't get better. I may not feel good going to the doctor. I'm going to feel good after I leave the doctor. And that's the way church is. You may not always feel good. You may have to get down and wallow in an altar. And the altar has got lumps of consecration in it. And it's got uncomfortable places. We don't like to bend our knees in an altar because there's something within us called pride that likes to stand up and say, I'm right. But when I submit and say, God, I need you to help me with this. i got to overcome. I don't want to be like Jeroboam that can't overcome my defeat, but neither do I want to be that one that has been around the church so long that I know so much and God's been so good to me and I've gotten so many blessings that they've become a curse to me and I, I can't have anybody penetrate through this, this outer armor that I've got on called pride. I can't allow anybody to talk to my heart because I've been living for God so long I already know everything there is to know about. No, 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 no. Come on, every one of us need to have the Spirit of the Lord challenge us again and get a hold of us again and stir us up again. And Abijah, yeah, you may have gotten the victory, but there's going to be some more enemies down the road. So you better get geared up again. You better get back to that place of relying on God again. You better get back to that place of consecration again. Because there's the greatest battle that you're going to fight, Abijah, is not the one that you fight against Jeroboam, but it's the, the one that you fight against your flesh. That, that one that you fight internally that says you can relax now. All of your enemies are subdued. You don't have any battles. You don't have any enemies to fight. And you get to thinking that everything is okay and you begin to slip into an attitude of self-indulgence. And relax. I've already won this battle. At least I'm not smoking no more. I'm not dipping and chewing. and I'm not cussing. I'm not telling dirty jokes. I'm not running around on my spouse. Dear God, I hope not. Not not thinking dirty thoughts and not watching things I shouldn't. Man, I got it. Look out, Abijah. Let's pride come in. Let's an old spirit and attitude of pride get a hold of you.
He started living for himself. Wasn't long until he slipped into an attitude where he was no longer relying on God and relying on his accomplishments. What I have done. Isn't that what got Nebuchadnezzar in trouble? He said, look at this great kingdom of Babylon that I have built. God said, huh, you? See how you like it out there with the cows. I'm going to change your diet to grass. I'm going to take that kingly robe off of you and let your hair grow out on your body like eagle's feathers. Let your nails grow out, and you're not going to have sense enough to clip them because you're going to be a madman. It's going to be like claws. I'm going to tell you, that was beastly. That was something to be abhorred. That was ugly, hideous. The picture of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to tell you where it all started. It all started with pride. I'm going to tell you the most hideous and to be abhorred thing in the world is to be ungrateful, is to be an unthankful person. Yeah? I know we like to talk about all those things in the end time that Paul listed to Timothy, his son in the gospel. He said, man, there's going to be those, going to be truce breakers, and there's perilous times coming. I can't remember them all, truce breakers and Oh, I do remember one, disobedient to parents. <laughs> All the young people said, amen. Boy, that was weak, I'm telling you. You better say amen like you mean it. Amen. Come on, Katie, amen. But in, in that list, it says unthankful. That's always astounded me. Unthankful. God, don't let me get unthankful. Because that's beastly. That's animalistic. That's dark. These people that are going around in these school shootings and stuff, I, I, they're not the homeless kids. Come on now. None of them are even from poor families that I could detect. Most of them had more than everything they needed. Somewhere that gets a hold of us if we're not careful. God, help me to remain thankful. Appreciative. You ought to thank God every day for a good church. I didn't say a perfect church, but a good church. Come on. You ought to thank God every day for a place to come to worship God and to give praise to God. You ought to thank God every day for your family. You ought to thank God every day for His Word. You ought to thank God every day for the Holy Ghost. You ought to think, come on, get simplistic with it. Don't get so complicated that you leave out the most basic foundational thing. Thank God for saving me. Thank God for His blood. Thank God for, I could still be out there groping in the darkness of sin, but thank God I'm in the church. Thank God for the revelation of the oneness of God. Thank God that I know this truth. Thank God that I know how to be saved. Thank God that I went to the water at grave in Jesus' name. Thank God that I repented of my sins one day. Thank God that I got the Holy Ghost. 
Somebody stand with me right now and lift up your hands and let's thank God together. Come on, let's thank God together. Yeah, thank God. The Bible tells us a little story. It's a true story. It's not a parable about Jesus between two villages who comes upon ten lepers. Now, I don't need to go into all the details about leprosy and what a dreaded disease that it was. Basically a death sentence. Once ever pronounced that you had leprosy, you were banished from society. Relegated to live outside the city limits. Anybody that was from that was traveling or come through the area where you were, there was a law that you could not approach them. I think it was something like a hundred paces, hundred steps you had to stay away. So basically, you had to stay, let's put it in our way of thinking, somewhere around 75, 80 yards away from them, depending on how long-legged and how big your paces are. But say from about where I'm standing to at least the back of this building, and you had to, you had to let them know. Now, your dress identified you as a leper. But you had to let them know, unclean, unclean. And Jesus comes upon these, and I'm sure that they're reluctant, but they ask him if he'd have mercy upon them. He saw their condition. He was moved with compassion. And he said to this ten, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And they all whisk away. I mean, they stampeded away like animals. I mean, just ran towards the destination of the priest. And there is one in, in, in the midst of this that turns around. He said, oh, I think I forgot something. And he goes and he bows down. And he says, Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank. Just seconds ago, as I was going away to show myself to the priest, I realized these old wounds and scabs and everything was dried up. They are no more. Where there was fretting leprosy that it was uncontrollable and taking away my skin and eating it away, my flesh, it's dried up. I just want to thank you. And the Lord asked him a question, a very stirring one. He said, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Knowing that this this leper, this one, could not, he could not answer for the other nine, but he's trying to make a point to you and I. And there's something that is revealed in this story about thankfulness. He said, go your way. He said, you're not only healed. He said, but you're going to be totally made whole. 
In other words, every bit of damage and scars that the disease left, they're going to be healed. They're going to get to go on. They're going to get to live, but you're going to be made whole. It's going to be like you never had it. I'm going to tell you, if you want to, if you want to escape a lot of scars and wounds and hurts in life, you stay around his presence and worship him. When there's a church service going on, don't be reluctant to worship him. Don't be the last one that responds to an altar service, but be one of the first that comes down and raises your hand. And maybe there's nobody to pray through the Holy Ghost, and maybe there's no one that, that needs. But you just want to come, and you want to express your thanksgiving unto God. Maybe you don't need to, to pray about a particular thing that God would give you victory over, but you just want to come and give thanks. We come and ask Him for a whole lot. How long has it been since we come and thanked Him for some things? Come and offered Him a sacrifice of praise. Amen. Worshipped Him. With all of our heart. That's okay. You come on, Sister Ashton. Is there somebody else that would like to make their way here tonight? Come on now. I wonder if there's somebody else that would like to step out where they are in the presence of the Lord, the anointing of the Holy Ghost that, that is here in this place and just say, God, I, I want to thank you. I'm not, I'm not all that I need to be, but thank God I'm not everything I used to be. I am so appreciative and I'm so thankful and I, I want to give you worship and I want to give you praise and I want to raise my hands and I want to lift my voice and I want to give praise to you.